Hello and welcome to Army of Crime, your favorite comic book adjacent podcast. Today we are slipping from the Euclidean bonds of sanity to talk about a 12-issue comic series called Providence, written by a fellow that you may have heard of before, a, a whippersnapper, a, a young rapscallion, if you will, named Alan Moore, and drawn by the person uh, known as Jason Burroughs, who is a singular artist in a way that we will probably talk about once we get into this. But really, no one else could have drawn this, I don't think. Well, I don't know about that, but we can talk about it. You don't think so? Oh, oh, okay, okay, sure. Uh, So we're talking Providence by Alan Moore, which is a 12-issue miniseries put out by Avatar Press that completes a sort of a triptych, if you will, or a trilogy of sorts, a quasi-trilogy, on the works of H.P. Lovecraft, written by... In Providence, there's a lot going on there, isn't there, Dustin? Well, I'm not sure how it's a quasi-trilogy because it's three things, so it is a trilogy. I believe uh, the first one is actually... Well, that's true. It, the first one was actually written by... Um, wasn't it just a short story that was later the, the adapted first, into? The first comic book is The Courtyard, which was a short story written by Alan Moore that was adapted into a comic book drawn by Jason Burroughs. And then Alan Moore scripted himself a sequel to The Courtyard called Neonomicon. And the courtyard was two issues. Neonomicon was four issues. And then you have the third part, which is a both prequel and sequel, which is twice the length of those put together, a 12-issue series called Providence. And these was once again drawn by uh, Jason Burroughs. And the overall idea behind this, this we're going to mainly talk about Providence specifically, which is the, the, the meatiest one of of these uh, stories and as i mentioned it's kind of like a both prequel and sequel that uh sets up and finishes the whole story so it's potentially the most standalone of these yeah, i as think well. it is i think it is largely standalone but the idea uh behind this was an uh an intent to sort of unify the so-called uh cthulhu mythos as started by H.P. Lovecraft and then continued by other authors such as Clark Ashton Smith and August Erlith and many others. And Alan Moore had, had said, I know, that part of what he wanted to do was make the Cthulhu stories scary again, rather than, you know, bec- and we had talked about actually an H.P. Lovecraft adaptation already on this show at the Mountains of Madness. And obviously, and this is even mentioned in the story and shown, but you can buy like Cthulhu, you know, T-shirts and plush, uh, like Beanie Babies and what have you. So it's definitely like at a high point of cultural saturation. And Alan Moore had said that what he wanted to do was sort of unify it all into a coherent uh, universe which it kind of already is, but he sort of like folds it together in a way that makes much more sense. And also then to make the mythos uh, scary again, like kind of bring it back to its horror roots in a sense, which is, I guess, uh, a big uh, buildup. But 
setting that aside, basically what Providence is, is a 12-issue series starring a character named Robert Black, who is investigating some supernatural occurrences of sorts and New England folklore for research on a book that he wants to write. And it involves him traveling all over New England and basically encountering all these uh, fictional places or fictional people and creatures from H.P. Lovecraft and also real people and real places that have all been kind of blended together into this story. So anyway, all that is to say, uh, Matt, do you think that Providence is a good comic book? Oh, yes, for sure. I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, Well, see you next time. End of episode. Yeah, it's kind of like, well, how about we start with this? So you are more than I familiar with the writings of H.P. Lovecraft and the Cthulhu mythos stories. So from that perspective, do you think that Moore and Burroughs do a good job of kind of like uh, honoring that stuff and sort of referencing it and redoing it and contextualizing it into their own story? Yeah, so I think that's something that they do very well. And what's interesting is instead of just adapting one Lovecraft story, he's trying to like tell all of them or like a, a large number of them and wrap them inside one mega story. Right. So he's not just adapting one story. He's attempting to like adapt Lovecraft's entire like output of stories into one super story, which I think is a much more interesting thing to try and do. Right. And not just uh, Lovecraft, uh, you know, just him, because it also ties into um, other kind of weird fiction stuff that ended up being incorporated into what's called the Cthulhu mythos. Like at the very beginning, mention is kind of made of the uh, the king in yellow or the the yellow sign um, by Robert Chambers. Yeah, and Ambrose Beers, for example, is mentioned quite a bit throughout. Right. Who I did not realize, I looked it up after reading this, did actually go missing. Right, yes. He appears in the end uh, as a head in a jar. I have his book right here, uh, Ambrose Beers' Weird Fiction. Um, the title is Can Such Things Be? And it's it's uh, I remember it being largely like ghost stories and stuff. I don't remember any of the standouts in it, but I have read it. So, yeah, he's in that kind of uh, milieu and Robert Chambers. Um, they mention who else? There's a lot of actual like real writers who get mentioned in it. Um, Lord Dunsany. Yes. Who's like the turn of the century fantasy author is brought up. Um, Algernon Blackwood is mentioned, who I've also read some things by. So it's it's a heady mixture of like interacting with real authors. And then there's, of course, his made up authors and stuff, uh, which he mentions. There's a story, I think it's issue number two, where they said something like the most impressive thing Poe did was weave uh, fact and fiction together. Right. Yes. Which is like what he's doing as you're reading Providence, because they I mean, they talk about Edgar Allan Poe a lot as well. Right. They do. And they also talk about and this is I find really interesting is. It begins with, um, and I should say this is a little more of the story, but it begins with Robert Black, who is a closeted gay man, like deeply closeted, who is also Jewish, and he uh, is not open really with anyone about either of those things. And he 
projects, this is basically like the main driving force that sets the story into motion, is he has a boyfriend named, who he refers to by the nickname Lily, and our protagonist, Robert Black, rejects Lily because uh, Robert is too basically anxious and pent up and too closeted to really like be in a relationship or really be open to anyone. And his rejection of Lily causes Lily to take his own life. And interestingly, the way that he does this is through a uh, what they call an exit garden, which is basically just like a suicide uh, booth that you can uh, just go sit in and they kill you. And this is from Robert Chambers, the uh, repair of reputation story. So at the very beginning, you already see ways in which they have folded these like weird fiction elements like into the world of this story, which seems mostly like the real world at the beginning, but already sort of isn't. So then Lily's suicide obviously is very traumatic to Robert Black, and he can't like publicly mourn for him because he's so deeply in the closet. And anyway, that kind of is what starts him out to want to get out of New York and maybe do research for this book that he wants to write. Yeah, and it's not even that they borrow from the story Repair of Reputations by Robert Chambers, but they tell you that that's what they're doing. Because the characters in the story specifically mention something like, oh, isn't that weird that that thing from that story came true? Right. So you're like already living in a world that is blending fiction and like the actual past, which is kind of the big theme of Providence, I suppose. And this is where he takes, um, we talked about this in the At the Mountains of Madness episode, where, you know, the question of, is there something underneath um, all of Lovecraft's various biases and prejudices and weird New England wasp hangups and the fact that he refuses to have female characters and all the rest of it? And, you know, the answer we came to was, yes, there does seem to be. And Alan Moore is trying to tease out a lot more of that. Um, so, like, the main theme is, like, the hidden reality or the hidden world that exists under our world. And you can yes. see a, lo a lot of ways that that will play out, right? So, you to mention the main character is gay in a time where he doesn't feel comfortable being openly gay. And certainly, um, it's like the 1917 is when the story starts. So, that is very consciously part of the story. And the character even mentions that in the book that he's writing. He says something like he wants to have a story where someone is trapped in some kind of world that they don't want to be part of. And he wants to be able to talk about that uh, through some kind of layer or like a lens so that he can, you know, express some feelings openly without saying what they really are. And that's sort of what's happening throughout the entire, throughout the entire uh, 12 issues of Providence. And then of course that's kind of ties back to Lovecraft. Who's always concerned about, you know, like, like race mixing or something. Um, with the between like humans and fish people or whatever, which is then a cover for his actual concern about like too many immigrants or something like that. Um, right. And we're just yeah. kind of so he's bringing like some things forward because in the story we see actual prejudice against in Lovecraft. They live in the city of Innsmouth, but in here they just live in part of Salem, but they're like the half the part fish people. Yes, the uh, who have the uh, Innsmouth look. But yes, yeah, so. Part of, yeah, part of what's, um, and we should also mention too that what makes Providence uh, stand out too as a comic book is that, and this is obviously something that Alan Moore has done many times, like even in Watchmen, where each issue at the end will have 
sort of like in in universe like extra material or like interviews with the characters and stuff like that in each issue of providence well not each issue like i think uh, most of the issues well at the end basically have the main character's journal where he writes down and some of it is like him recapping some of the things that you saw in the comic book, but in more detail. And some of it is him writing out ideas for his book or copying out text from various pamphlets or other uh, books that he comes across. The main uh, thing being that he's looking for is this uh, book called The Wisdom. Is it The Wisdom Beyond the Stars, which is sort of a stand in for Lovecraft's Necronomicon. Um, and he copies out part of the text from that in, into his uh, journal or his commonplace book, as they call it. Yeah. Um, and what's really interesting, so, well, like you said, so basically uh, Moore and Burroughs are taking very seriously this idea of the hidden reality or the hidden world, and they're using it in several ways because you have the horrors that we don't see of sort of like, you know, the Innsmouth people uh, and like what Robert Sidham is doing with his basement and that kind of stuff, which are like horrors that are literally hidden away from the average person. And then you have the societal horrors, which are hidden beneath such as like racism and anti-Semitism and the anti-gay attitudes that force Robert Black to stay in the closet. And then as it goes on, you also have this other layer of the dream worlds or the other like uh, mathematical planes which exist sort of above and below and like uh, in concert with what we perceive as reality. Um, and then so as Robert Black goes on his journey, you like get to see uh, the interplay between like all of these layers. Uh, and like them coming together and uh, Matt. Yeah, and I was going to add that not yes. only is all of that happening, but they're like telling you that that's what's happening as it's happening. Right. It's also in another kind of uh, very Alan Moore-esque twist. It's it's a very meta uh, comic book because it's about a writer and it's about him like reading fiction. So it's like very uh, sort of self-aware of what it's doing as a piece of fiction. Right. And when he meets, for example, Pittman, one of the characters who has like uh, which is based on the Lovecraft story, Pickman's model. And yes. In Pickman's model is the story where he draws uh, like photorealistic portraits of ghouls that live in tunnels under the city. Right. So you have like the literal people who live right. in the underworld who come up and then this guy is painting them. And then Robert looks at the painting and interprets the subtext of the painting. Which is right. like, which is like him looking at the text, but he thinks it's subtext, but he's reading the subtext into it. That is actually, you know what I mean? It's like three layers of of things happening at once. Because Pittman, the real guy is, the Lovecrafts is Pickman, right? Right. Yeah. Pickman. And Moore and Burroughs have Pittman, but yes, he is a guy who draws and photographs these ghouls eating people, which for him is like a representation of reality because the ghouls are real. Uh, but Robert Black like interprets it politically and says, oh, it's like, uh, I, I can see that these, uh, your, you know, your work is very political, which I think is interesting too, because uh, Providence sort of ends up having a uh, political angle with 
the uh, you know all of these hidden layers of like sort of the inner rot of American society. In fact, the third issue of Neonomicon is called The Shadows Over America. And like it even starts, I think it's issue seven starts with the policeman's riot. Yeah, so there like... are several like real life events that go on. Yeah, so issue seven has Robert Black arriving in Boston. And yeah, there's a uh, the policemen are on strike and the city is caught up in a huge riot with the National Guard uh, trying and failing to restore order. So there's like people being like, you know, raped and murdered right out in the street. Which is a, a, then a literal example of the like underworld rising up or something, which right. is how he interprets P Pittman's um, painting. And then, you know, throughout the story, people make reference to like young and like the subconscious part of the mind. Right, which we see often in the story represented literally. Um, but then as it goes on, it is, becomes more of like this metaphysical thing. While well, also so, possibly being connected to a literal alien planet. And another dimension and also the past and also uh -huh. the future. And a higher mathematical plane called Yang. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different angles that you can talk about with Providence. You had mentioned, you had talked about um, Jason Burroughs. So what is it about, um, talk about the visuals of Providence. So Jason Burroughs' art is, um, it's like very like straightforward, I think would be a way of putting it. It's like, yes. it's, al it's almost like borderline simplistic in some ways, although it can be extremely detailed. Um, when he, like he'll draw some like, like the people, it's hard to even explain it. Like you'd almost have to look up an example of it because in some ways it looks very like, like, like I said, almost like straightforward or simplistic, but he puts a lot of detail into like buildings and details and like creatures um, and like what's happening. And like the story has, so like there's an example of a part where you have um, a woman who is a witch who is uh, feeding her familiar, not something you would normally see, right? You normally would talk about that, but he just like draws it straight up. And he, he does not spare any uh, sense of modesty or like trying to cover things up with artfully placed shadows or whatever. So you, you get a lot of like naked people and graphic dismemberments and whatnot. And I think it all kind of works. It works with like how like straightforward his art is. You know what I mean? Like he's like he's just showing you stuff almost in a there's like a geometric quality to how. Like, he's not trying to gussy it up, right? You just have a story. There's, like, people. There's a lot of scenes of just people sitting around talking to each other. So, in the... I have the 12 issues of Providence, and I also have the box set that they put out, which has an art book called Dreadful Beauty. And in the introduction to the art book, Alan Moore talks about the uh, how Lovecraft was, in some ways, a uh, realistic writer or, or would aim for a sense of realism in his work. Um, and he mentioned sort of like how they have to go through the logistics of like an Arctic expedition in the mountains of madness and stuff like that. Like he wanted his horror to sort of be grounded first in um, the real world. And he mentions that Jason Burroughs uh, very like, uh, like very much does that with the horror in Providence, which I think is very true in that Jason Burroughs approaches this in a very realistic sense. And I think part of what helps that 
is the way that the panel structures uh, and, you know, Alan Moore is obviously a guy who is very strict or is, is always uh, making very specific choices about the panel structures of his comic books. And a lot of Providence, you have these pages where you'll have like four horizontal panels per page, like moving the story along. And a lot of the times you'll have like the progression of time in between each panel where like the camera is sort of like camera, if you will, in air quotes, like pushing in or pulling out and stuff like that. And it almost gives uh, Providence like a sense of like documentary uh, realism, which I think is very much what, you know, he's going for in that Lovecraftian realism, which I think is sort of what you're talking about, right? Right. He he puts the same level of detail into, you know, there's like two people standing at a street corner and it's not treated any different if you're just looking at like an empty building or you're looking at something horrifying happening? Of previous Alan Moore collaborators, you know, the way that Burroughs's art works in Providence kind of reminded me of like Dave Gibbons in Watchmen, because I think they both have a sort of like draftsman sense of like this like sort of st like strict geometric panels and like a sense of like uh, architecture that I think is uh, like really real. I mean, realistic is maybe not the best way to talk about art because like that could mean all sorts of different things. But when you see like like you're talking about the city streets and the architecture of the buildings and stuff, it's uh, obviously like great care is being paid into making this like an almost, you know, photographic or documentary style, like look at the way that these things actually look. And if you look you know, there's a lot of real places that get visited and you can actually look up like photos of a lot of these like real places and they look, you know, pretty similar. Like a lot of these buildings are real buildings. Right. And I think because he adds like that sense of like weight to what's happening and then when it does take the hard left turns into the weird stuff, I think it gives the weird stuff more. Right. Uh, more like shock to you right whereas if the whole thing was drawn in some kind of moody you know like shadowy kind of art style then like what you would be... expect oh sorry go ahead yeah i was gonna say then it would be less shocking i think when it does take those hard left turns because if you think of like and this is an artist who i really love but like maybe someone who's more uh archetypally a horror artist like a kelly jones or something like that or you think of like Sam Keith drawing like early Sandman comics, and I'm sure there are much better examples, but their work is much more expressive and like uh, grotesque in a sense. Whereas in Providence, I feel like that kind of like regular, you know, what you might consider like horror art uh, would kind of work against uh, what they're sort of going for here, which is like, a sense of realism that then uh, becomes that much more shocking, like you said, when it veers into these things which are not real and which, you know, famously are meant to be sort of like undescribable or un, uh, you know, like un under like things that are beyond human comprehension, which of course raises that issue of like, how do you draw and give definite shape to things which are not supposed to have definite shape? Yeah, and I think it's telling that all of the, I mean, it's Avatar Press likes doing uh, variant covers. 
So I'm sure there's like yeah. hundreds of variant covers, but I, I believe all the regular covers are just pictures of buildings. Right. Yeah, which, they are. Which is is a testament to the you know the idea that this is like a grounded thing that takes place with like physical landmarks. Right. right? And and like there's a lot of walking in the story. Like yeah. Robert Black is always like traveling places, and he's always it's always very specific on like where he's going. He's going by this street to that place. He's walking there. It takes him X amount of time to get there. Yeah, I mean. A lot of these issues are just like him traveling to different cities and meeting people and talking to them. Which is then, not like a bad or really like a good thing. It's just kind of like the way this is structured. It's almost like a road story. Yeah, it's an odd it's an odd structure. It's almost also like a heart of darkness kind of thing of like journeying deeper. The main character doesn't know that that's the kind of story he's in. Right, because the heart of darkness that he's journeying towards is not a uh, physical place. Or is it? I guess it it is and it isn't, and it's it also it is and it isn't. It's the heart of the heart of darkness of America, but also yeah. the world, and also I was going to say, and it, this kind of ties back to when we talked about at the mountains of madness. But you know that interesting thing um, that that Lovecraft does, and it's it's weird that and they mention this in the story. This is actually a plot point of sorts within Providence, but the the weirdness of the fact that Lovecraft has this level of cultural saturation, right. And it's not even like abundantly clear why. I mean, I've read, I think I've read like basically, I mean, probably not all, but like the the bulk, the overwhelming bulk of Lovecraft stories. And like, they are cool, but you know, there is a lot of flaws within them, certainly. Um, and wh why does he have such a cultural reach? And it's interesting to even raise that as like a plot point with, within this. And it's it's interesting to have a lot of like, because as you mentioned, he does a lot of like the unknowable you know, the seventh dimension and the unspeakable geometry and this other stuff that really doesn't work visually. Um, but I think they find a way to make it work here. Yeah, and, and you know, I was, I was saying that a lot of this is just him traveling around and meeting people. But I also, you had mentioned that this that you like this comic book. Yeah, and I like this even more. I mean, I have read it before and I uh, loved it even more reading it again. It's, it's very much like, despite how you might you know, describe it as it's not like an action story by any stretch of the imagination, but it's very readable and like very addicting once you like get into it. Um, because that whole thing of like, you know, gradually peeling back the layers to see what's underneath is, of course, um, you know, it's very addicting for the reader, us, and also very addicting for Robert Black, the protagonist. Yeah, but, and also very appropriate thematically to an adaptation of Lovecraft. Yes. And the, and the text pieces at the end of the issues are used to to great effect because he often um, explains things or comes up with ideas. He almost does like literary criticism too because he talks about like Bram Stoker's Dracula and some of the weaknesses that might be in it. Um, and he'll like go into more detail about things that happen in the story because there's parts where you're like, man, this Robert Black guy really doesn't notice much, does he? It seems like there's things that he's like missing and you're, you think he's kind of oblivious. Um, and then you'll actually read in the journal entries where he talks about them and he does notice them. He just doesn't say anything. And it's an interesting uh, trick from how comics normally work, because normally you'd put that in like a thought bubble or like a caption. But right. he's like take, taking a lot of those things and then removing them from the time that they actually happened in and placing them in the journal entries in the back of the story, which sometimes take place before the issue that you've just read. And sometimes they take place actually 
like the timeline gets scrambled up because he often writes the journal entries after the thing that you just watched him do. Yes. Um, and then, but sometimes their journal entries actually take place like at the beginning of the issue. Um, so that the timeline gets a little jumbly there, but it's an interesting way of doing it. That's like a lot different than how comics normally work. Like I said, normally you'd have like thought bubbles or like captions and he takes that out and sticks it in the back in the journal entries. Because as I'm, am I correct in saying that there are no captions in Providence? I do not believe there are. I think you're right. I think there are no captions, no like thought balloons or. Well, thought no one captions. uses thought balloons anymore. Right, but like the equivalent of thought balloons. Yeah. If you read the courtyard, since it's an adaptation of a short story, it has that kind of like narrative captions. It was adapted sequentially by a guy named Anthony Johnston. Okay. Who, yeah, I know. Yeah, he's like an indie, I think more of an indie comics guy. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what Moore's involvement in that whole process was, but in Neonomicon and then in Providence, he doesn't use captions and kind of sticks to more of like this documentary sort of style. And one thing that I also really loved, and I don't know how much, I mean, it's weird to talk about spoilers because like, if you know anything about HP Lovecraft stories, you know what the quote unquote bad guys are trying to do. Um, right, and, and like most in, in the human most, race, basically. Yeah, and, and most protagonists in Lovecraft stories end the same way, which is commented on multiple times in Providence. Yeah. And Robert yeah, Black even thinks to himself at some point, I'm going to write a story and what should happen at the end? Well, if the hero triumphs, then that diminishes the horror. But if he just gets killed off, then it seems futile. But what if he is lost to madness or kills himself? Right. And I, uh, speaking of the his journal or his commonplace book, I actually really like how that book ends up. And it's not just like a place for like Alan Moore to uh, pour out all of his, you know, unfiltered thoughts, because Lord knows Alan Moore, you know, if he got paid by the word word, he would be the richest man in the world. That actually ends up taking a really like pivotal role in the plot. Oh, right. His journal is actually, yeah, a, a, an article, a thing that exists in the world and characters will like, like, like pick up and like use. Yeah, because and this is getting into the larger plot, but he travels um, and we can talk about if there's any specific issues that you want to discuss. But basically, Robert Black ends up, I mean, do we want to get this specific into the story? But basically, Robert Black ends up meeting H.P. Lovecraft and the journal ends up being the seed that sparks Lovecraft's uh, career, or his Cthulhu stories, I should say. Um, right, which then explains why like Black is meeting all these people and things that are from Lovecraft, but they're all scrambled up a little bit, right? And then you pass them through to Lovecraft. It's and like what a, it is, is we mentioned like the different layers of perception and reality as you have all of your evil uh, Cthulhu mythos, Lovecraftian deities who are basically attempting to have their reality overtake our reality. And the way that they're attempting to do that is to use Robert Black and then use H.P. Lovecraft through him to sort of like seed these ideas into the world to the point where they can overtake our world with their world which again is a very Alan Moore-esque idea because he himself has talked about how like stories are magic, are like a form of magic that can be used 
to sort of put ideas into the world. And that's literally what is going on in the plot of Providence. Right. And it's very much because um, you talked about like the Necronomicon equivalent, which I think is called the wisdom of the book of the stars or, or Halley's book is yeah. like this thing that was dictated from another planet slash plane of reality or whatever, which then inf like infects the earth and then like slowly like spreads over the earth in various translations and forms. Right. Like that's the, that's actually the instigating incident of the entire, of the entire thing is that that book being created. Right. Um, and, and at one point they talk about how, you know, the, the book being printed in Europe and then Basically, the we haven't even mentioned the Stella Sapient uh, Secret Society, which is the group of people who bring the book to the United States of America in the 1600s. And in, in uh, I think Robert Black in his journal sort of talks about how America as a young country did not have its own mythology and its own sort of like history the the way that the Europe Europe did so that the, the by bringing the book to America the secret society has basically created the American mythology and like seeded the uh path of American history right and there's a lot of um yeah i mean there's a lot of things they talk about in there that are like you know like historical stuff because they talk about prohibition in it and they talk about like women voting um, and it's there's a mention of like like KKK guys being tied in uh, to the conspiracy, at least on some level um, when you when they're in the dream world, uh, which, by the way, is actually a very cool thing. Like when they visit the dreamland, which is also one of the better like like Lovecraft has a lot of stories that take place. I don't know about a lot, but there, he has a whole cycle that takes place in the dreamland. Yes, yeah, Robert so Black meets a guy named in Providence. I think he's Randall Carver. Right which is an analog for Lovecraft's Randolph Carter, right? Who's the guy yeah. who can like travel through dreamscapes with his mind. And Providence's Carver and Robert Black go on such a journey in one of the later issues. Yeah. And that's like uh, a very cool, like literal thing of what we're talking about. And like, you know, it ties into that, like the U S history, it ties, I mean, it ties into a lot of things. It, it's, it's almost kind of fascinating to look at the number of layers that are like happening at once when things are happening. Are there any specific individual issues that stood out to you? I mean, we're both in agreement that Providence is an extremely good comic book and perhaps one of the best comic books that Alan Moore has done, at least in recent uh, history yeah no it's very good and it's a testament to how good of you know you can put it up with the other alan moore stuff i do think reading some lovecraft stories probably increases perhaps the appreciation you can find like the annotations online which just tells you how much uh alan moore puts into this when people do like annotated versions um but like i think the main like the i think some reading some lovecraft certainly would help uh, going into it, there's a lot of ones that I really liked, and there's some of them that are uh, that are kind of upsetting, uh, kind of unsettling. Yeah, you Robert might, you Black might say. really goes through the ringer. Yeah, he does go through the ringer. Um, like issue number six is kind of based off the case of Charles Dexter Ward, which which is like a Lovecraft story, um, one of his I think better known stories about like a wizard 
who can possess, I think he possesses his uh, his own descendants. Um, I think number five before that is, I believe references um, a story called Dreams in the Witch House, which has like a, a witch's familiar as a, as a character. I do like when he meets, you know, Pit, Pittman, who's like Pickman's model is the story that that's based off of. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good ones. I don't. He talks to a giant ghoul underneath Boston named King George. Right. Which I learned was, this is apparently an idea with ghouls, is that they're named after the first person they eat. So King George is friends with another ghoul named George Washington. Oh, right, because they eat the dead bodies. They don't have to eat. They eat dead bodies, yes. Yeah, sure. And and, uh, I haven't read Pikmin's model, but I believe Pikmin becomes a ghoul or something. Yes, uh, there's a handful of Lovecraft characters that are, you know, like plausibly we could call them... um, I don't know if heroic is the right word, but have some de- higher degree of agency in his world instead of just, you know, relentlessly blowing their brains out at the end of every story. And Pikmin is one of those characters who actually makes like uh, a recurring appearance. And then like Randolph, um, Randolph Carter would be another kind of recurring character. I think Tom Malone, who is also in this, is from the the story. I think it's called Incident at Red Hook. Yes. Who's like a kind of macho, like two-fisted detective character which Lovecraft does not normally use many of. And more sort of subverts that by making him, uh, I don't know that it's ever said explicitly, but it's pretty clear that he is also closeted gay men like Robert Black. Yeah. Because as soon as they meet, they kind of start like flirting with each other. Um, We haven't even talked about this, but like one of the things that Moore does, Moore and Burroughs do in Providence, which is so fascinating and I think really smart is how they take all of the sexual undercurrents from Lovecraft, who was famously a um, basic, he's, I think, considered by some to have been perhaps like asexual. Um, but he, his stories often will kind of like hint at sort of like, you know, quivering phallic masses and tentacles and the like. Uh, but they never actually go into like any kind of sexual activity. Whereas so it's always like hinted at, and in in Providence, Moore and Burroughs make all of the hinted at uh, sexual stuff extremely explicit, right? In both uh, senses of the term, right? Like in the Dunwich Horror is is a Lovecraft about um, two people being created who have like an extra dimensional entity as their father. And of course, Lovecraft isn't concerned with the physical dynamics of how an extra dimensional entity could impregnate a person, right? You just kind of skip over. Yeah. But here, but uh, Alan Moore isn't a big fan of skipping over that kind of thing, but he's just going to show it to you. Right. Well, part of sort of the documentary realism of this uh, comic book is the way that those kind of things are, you know, the things that Lovecraft would perhaps be uncomfortable with are instead shown to you. And I think Probably the most disturbing comic book or issue is, what is it, number six, where he's in Salem and he reads, he gets to like read a copy of the the book Beyond the Stars. And then he has an encounter with what uh, appears to be a 13-year-old girl, but who is actually the, we come to learn, the spirit of one of the Stella sapient uh, founders inhabiting someone else's body, which it should be mentioned too, that frequent mention is made of the four different methods laid out in the book Beyond the Stars of prolonging life. 
And you see these four different methods being used by the founding members of the Stella Sapient to sort of keep themselves alive through the centuries as they kind of see this plan slowly come to fruition. And one of those methods is transferring your spirit into other people's bodies. So anyway, Robert Black meets what he thinks is a 13-year-old girl, but is actually like a 500-year-old man inhabiting a 13-year-old girl's body. And then he switches bodies with Robert Black and then uses Robert Black's body to rape the girl who is now containing Robert Black's spirit, if that makes sense. Yeah, they swap minds. Yeah, and it's extremely sort of horrifying and leaves uh, Robert very like traumatized as he literally flees Salem like on foot in a in a thunderstorm. Right, and then the later you know characters are kind of talking to him, and he he decides that it was some kind of hypnosis. Yeah, it's one of those things that is mentioned frequently in these kind of stories of events so horrible that the mind cannot like fully grasp them or fully understand them. So he has to like rationalize it away. Yeah, that was definitely that was that was unsettling. You know, the final issue, I don't know if we want to talk about the ending because there's a lot to pick apart in the ending. And if you don't want to know, you know, how it ends, uh, th that's fine, because normally we don't go over like plot stuff. But I think there's a lot of things you could talk about with the ending. Yes. And so if you don't want to know what happened, I mean, you should go read it anyway. I would say go read. My my official list would be like what read uh, incident at Red Hook Dunwich Horror. You could read um, Dagon and Beyond the uh, the Veil of Sleep, and there's like a couple other ones. But like the Strange Case of Randolph Carter, I'm probably getting some of the titles slightly wrong, but you can find that all online. But yeah, you should go read it definitely. But we will talk about the ending because the ending is where he kind of brings you into something that Lovecraft always talks about, but never actually happens, which is like the rising of the of the ancient ones or whatever, which is a thing that they're always talking about, right? Like one day, you know, the ancient ones will come back and up will be down and left will be right and everything will go screwy and everyone is in deep trouble. But he never really specifies what's going to happen. And of course, none of his stories ever take place, you know, in, in the future or after that's happened or whatever. So Alan Moore just brings the whole thing back home to show you what the Lovecraft apocalypse would actually look like. It's... Uh, a book with it's very readable but there's also so much like depth to it that it really rewards uh rereading and like you said being familiar with this uh, all these other like this all this other texts these like stories and stuff that kind of inform it i think very much accomplishes what they set out to do of making this bringing it back to a horror story and like making the idea of cthulhu scary again Rather right. than like adorable, like there's a lot of Lovecraftian things, quote unquote, right? Right. And, that's and, become a like Kafka esque. It's become a there's Lovecraftian. Yeah, and and they just kind of put the final word on all of that, like Alan Moore really does here. I think he puts the final word on all of that, and it's like, what else could you say about about Lovecraft after reading Providence? Yeah, would you really want like another take on it after this? You um, I feel it, like it, him and. More and Burroughs really like tied the whole thing up with a bow. Yeah, it, it's certainly like we mentioned. I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation works as a fairly standalone story, but it uh, has such depth to it that your appreciation of it will only deepen as you reread it and as you become more familiar with all of the various historical and fictional things that they're riffing off of.
Well, that has been another episode of everyone's favorite podcast, Army of Crime. I was going to uh, give an, a Lovecraft adjacent recommendation. Oh, by all means, do please. Um, do. I was going to if if you've ever read the um, A Study in Emerald. Uh, if you heard, have you heard of this? This is a I don't think so. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft Sherlock Holmes mashup written by Neil Gaiman. Okay. Uh, it's kind of fun. This is a novel. Uh, it it's a short story that was also adapted into a comic book. Oh, okay. But the short story was written by Neil Gaiman. And the short story is good. Yes, it's 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 kind of a uh, I mean it 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 falls more into that like weird, you know, turning Lovecraft into a cartoon thing to some degree, you know. But it's written by Neil Gaiman, who's like a smart guy. So it's like it's like well done. Okay. Because like I said, it has Sherlock Holmes in it. So, but anyway, back to your outro. You can find us on the web at armyofcrime.com. You can leave us reviews or ratings on wherever you acquired this particular podcast episode. And I am uh, Dustin. You can find me on Twitter. You can find Matt on Twitter at Army of Crime. I'm at Dustin44444. It's a very stupid username, I know. Until next time, stay alive out there, everyone. Cut that part out or something. I was like waiting for you to say something. Uh...